turn then to the other end of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, and that will be our sermon text for today as we continue going through the book of Genesis. Last week we had finished chapter 3, and we had seen how God responded to man's sin and the words, the serpent, and the woman, and the man, uh, and that amid that judgment, God had also spoken of how he would divide the uh, offspring of the woman from the offspring of the serpent, uh, that there would be these two groups uh, that he would save. And in this passage, we uh, find that develop, uh, that uh, there will be uh, two groups of, of people uh, exemplified here in Cain and in Abel. Uh, So let me go ahead and read Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well... Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to, it, to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we have heard the word that you have given to us. We pray that you would bring these things to our minds, to consider them, to convict us, to build us up. We pray that you would teach us in this way, that you would lead us by your word, uh, that you would uh, make these things useful to us, 
uh, that you might be glorified in the proclamation of your uh, revelation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this text, we find that Eve gave birth to two sons. Uh, One of them, his name was Cain, uh, which you can think of sounds like gained, right? I don't know why the English translations didn't go with gained. The option was right there. It sounds like the word forgotten, but gained actually in English sounds like Cain. The acquire, receive, gain is the idea of what the Hebrew word for Cain means, that she had gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Uh, The brother, the other son, was named Abel. Now, the text doesn't say why he was named Abel, probably because in Hebrew it was rather obvious, because it's the word for, uh, that Ecclesiastes uses for vanity uh, or vapor, something that is there for a little while and then gone. Um, And that is what Abel was named. Perhaps reflecting upon uh, the words that had been spoken, that man was dust, and to dust he would return. Uh, Perhaps a little prophetic as well regarding uh, the lifespan of Abel. Both of these, though, were heirs of the promise. They were literally at least uh, offspring of the woman, uh, of of Eve, and they were both taught to worship God. At one point, at least, they both professed to serve and worship the true and living God. Um, And yet Cain would fall away. And he would be the first uh, apostate. He would be proved to be of the evil one, uh, the offspring of the serpent, spiritually speaking, at war with the offspring of the woman. In this passage, we see sin develop further. We had seen it begin in chapter 3. We find it developing further in chapter 4 and to manifest its true colors more and more. But also in this text, we find God. God shows up in chapter 4 too. And he finds that he manifests and shows forth his grace and his justice. What what ought we to learn from this passage? If I was to boil it down, I'd say that God receives humble believers, but he opposes the proud. And so, basically, follow the way of Abel and do not be like Cain. That's a pretty uh, clear message as we find this account written for us. But first, let's look at their, uh, their worship, the worship of Cain and Abel. Uh, then let's look at the murder of Abel, and then the judgment of Cain by God. In the first five verses or so, we find these two introduced. Uh, they're not the only children of Adam and Eve, as we'll find later, but these are perhaps the first two and the most prominent Uh, Cain and Abel, and they both, at a certain time, at the end of days, perhaps at the end of the year, as their harvest had been brought in, uh, they present offerings to God. doesn't necessarily mean this is the first time they had done that, um, but there is an occasion where this happens, and uh, we find that one way or another, they find that God had regard for Abel and his offering, but not for Cain and his offering. We don't know exactly how they gained this knowledge. Some speculate that maybe fire burst out and consumed Abel's offering, but not Cain's. We don't really know, but we do know that uh, it was apparent one way or the other that God had regard for Abel and his offering, but he had no regard for Cain 
and his offering. Both of them sacrificed, but God only accepted one. Now notice a couple things. Despite mankind's rebellion, yet we find here in the next chapter, mankind coming to worship God. What did Adam and Eve do when God first approached them after they had sinned? They hid. They hid themselves from God. But now their children present themselves to God. Instead of hiding from him, as they initially did before the gospel was proclaimed, they had now turned back again to worship him. And the only reason they had to do so, the only hope they had was that promise of salvation uh, that doubtless they had been taught from chapter 3, verse 15. And not only did they worship God, but it's remarkable that God accepted at least one of them, that God accepted Abel and his offering. Abel had sinned like the rest of mankind. The statement that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that's true of Abel as well. This is after the fall. And he was by nature a child of wrath. Yet God showed his grace by accepting Abel's worship. Abel had turned from rebellion and turned into the mercy of God with faith and was offering a tribute. That's another way to translate the word offering here. Offering tribute to the Creator. God showed him unmerited favor by receiving him as righteous in his sight and looking with favor upon his gift. And so we see a way to God had been opened for sinners that he might receive them. But the question arises, why did God accept Abel and his offering, but not Cain and his offering? Was it because Abel shed blood in his sacrifice? That's one uh, possibility that has been mentioned. You notice that Cain was a worker of the ground like his father, but Abel was a keeper of sheep, and so they present from their proceeds. And so Abel is presenting an animal, and uh, Cain is pre- uh, presenting uh, vegetation or fruits, you know, stuff that did not have blood. I'm not convinced that's the reason why one was accepted and the other was not. It's possible. Um, but these differences lay in their different professions, both of which were lawful, and both animal and grain offerings were later offered according to the law. They were usually offered together. And the word used here for offerings, sort of a, as I've said, gifts or tribute, it's actually usually used for grain offerings, usually translated as grain offerings in the law, even the word used here for Abel's offering. So this kind of gift uh, was often uh, either kind. I think the difference that stands out in the text of Genesis is that Abel offered the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions, which was the best, or perhaps it's his firstborn of his flock and the fattest of those, not just any old firstborn. In either case, it stands out that he offered the best. But there's no comment like that regarding Cain. He simply offered some of the fruit of the ground. Furthermore, we'll find as the story goes along that Cain had a rather different attitude when it came to worshiping God. He had a rather proud attitude of entitlements and self-satisfied, self-satisfied pride. It stands out compared to Abel's more humble reverence, giving his best to God. And we gain more insight regarding this passage from Hebrews chapter 11, which I'll turn to here briefly. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 says this. 
By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And so it was by faith that Abel offered a more acceptable offering. Um, Just as all of the saints in the past, you know, in Hebrews 11, would do different things uh, as an expression of their faith. And so uh, by his faith, uh, he offered a better offering. And that faith is key. His works made his faith visible. And that at root was what was different between him and Cain. And through that faith, he was commended as righteous, just as Abraham would later be uh, accepted as righteous uh, through faith. In other words, God accepted Abel. God accepted Abel's person as righteous, and therefore he accepted his faith-filled offerings as well. Notice that in Genesis 4, it says that God doesn't just say he had regard for Abel's offering. He says he had regard for Abel and his offering, but not for Cain and his offering. God receives sinners as righteous in his sight through faith in Jesus Christ. And then, or as a consequence, or in accordance with that, he receives the works and worship they present by that same faith. No matter how many offerings Cain gave, they would not have been pleasing to God, while Cain himself remained at odds with God. You cannot earn God's favor by your works. But when you have God's favor by his grace, your worship and your good works uh, that are produced by faith will be received by him as pleasing in his sight. Uh, All the works that we might do, apart from God's redemption, are as but filthy rags in his sight, even the best. But God does two things that we might worship him and and even uh, be pleasing in his sight. He covers us with Christ, that all our sins are not counted against us, but rather we are regarded as righteous. And he also regenerates us so that we have faith and through that faith do things that are uh, sincere and good. And in that way, you and I, like Abel, can worship God, can serve God, and God have regard for you and for your gift. What do we learn from these first verses? First, don't draw near to God like Cain, who came confident that he deserved God's favor and was indignant and jealous and resentful or angry when his offering was rejected. Do not draw near with the half-hearted worship of the self-satisfied hypocrite. Reminded of the people in Malachi's day, where Malachi proclaimed that God was was not satisfied with them, that, that there was, they had despised the Lord and his table, but the people were like, how have we despised the Lord? We presented our offerings. It's like, well, not much of an offering. Uh, they had self-satisfied, half-hearted worship. They had checked off the box and expected by right to be received. But instead, draw near to God with faith in his grace and his promises. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's also from Hebrews. He welcomes and rewards those who seek him by faith. Draw near to again then, draw near to God then with faith in Jesus Christ. 
draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with your hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and your bodies washed with pure water. Draw near to God with confidence, confidence that rests upon a mediator, Jesus Christ. And third, by this faith, offer a better sacrifice than Cain. Now, you no longer worship with burnt offerings. We wouldn't really be able to worship in this building if we did, right? Where would the smoke go? And we don't worship with burnt offerings anymore. But you are called to offer sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, to pay tribute to your maker with prayers and with songs. You're also called to share with what, what you have and give offerings for the ministry of the mercy and word. But in all these things, do not merely go through the motions, but worship God with gratitude and with faith. Offer a sacrifice of praise with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Examine yourself. Do you approach God with the confidence of faith, or do you approach God with the confidence of pride? Those are two different reasons to be confident. Let us be confident through faith. Put away the pride and come to God with humility, offering him worship, knowing that all you have is a gift from him. So first of all, we have worship uh, presented here in early chapters of Genesis, some of which was pleasing to God, received his favor. But then we have the result of God's response to that worship. Cain sees that his worship was not received, that God had not received him, and he gets very angry. He gets very angry, it seems, perhaps at both God and Abel, uh, at God for rejecting him, at Abel with envy and resentment. And then God warns Cain. He comes to Cain. He exhorts Cain. He assures Cain, seeking to turn him away from the course of the sin that he was on. But Cain rejects God's warning. He lures Abel out into a field, out to a place where there would be no witnesses to catch him. He deceives Abel, and then he kills Abel, his brother, his fellow man, the image of God, the one whose deeds were righteous, and kills him in cold blood. So see how sin had developed. Sin might have looked so innocent as biting into a piece of fruit. How bad could could sin really be? Yet it was a rebellion against the Creator, and it would not stop until it corrupted man in every respect. It continues to manifest itself then in anger and in hatred, in deception, betrayal, and violence. It continues to manifest itself in the murder of the innocent, the destruction of God's image, setting brother against brother. Mankind lives in hatred and in hating one another and being hated by one another. That is the way in which we once walked. That is the course of this world. Not only would their relation with God be broken, but their relation with each other would be broken. Sin would cause a distortion and corruption among mankind. And we find here then the first death is the death of violence. The first death is the death of a righteous man. The first death was a murder. So do not be like Cain. That is a clear lesson. That's one drawn out in 1 John that we read earlier. 
Um, John talks about how God is righteous and loving, so his children are going to be more and more loving and righteous. The, sin, the devil, though, is sinful and murderous, and so are his children. Cain was of the evil one. Just as the serpent was a murderer of mankind, bringing all of mankind into death, so Cain then imitated the serpent. He joined his side. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And the root of Cain's murder was hatred. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. John taught that. Jesus taught something quite similar in the Sermon on the Mount. To be careful about our attitude towards our brother, the words that we use towards our brother. As along that same track that we find expressed in murder, this murderous hatred is a mark and a badge of the fallen world. In fact, as we approach the flood, it's going to describe how the earth was filled with violence. That this violence of Cain would be expanded upon and manifest itself more and more. Those who do not love abide in death. But those who love their brother show that they have passed from death into life and now bear a resemblance to their heavenly father. Not only did Cain, though, exemplify murderous hatred, but he also exemplified hatred of the world for Christ and his church and was the beginning of a long line, a long heritage. As John says, why did he murder Abel? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. The world will be jealous. The world will be, feel convicted if you do not join in with them in doing the things they do. They will be surprised that you do not join in with them in their immorality or their bitterness And there is hatred, therefore, against God's people. There was hatred against Jesus, who was perfect without sin, and yet they found fault with him. Abel, then, was the first believer to experience persecution. He was the beginning of a different heritage, of one who indeed would suffer for righteousness' sake. And so learn from this murder to, unlike Cain... Heed God's exhortation. How are we to not be like Cain? Well, first of all, don't be like Cain who ignored God's word, who ignored God's exhortation and assurances. If you do well, if you humble yourself by repentance with faith, will you not be accepted? God has presented a way of salvation. If God does not accept you, do not grow angry at him. Rather, be corrected and turn to him. Turn from sin and seek God's forgiveness and acceptance. There is hope for the fallen. There is hope for the hypocrite. There is hope for the rejected, for the sinner. Secondly, do not be like Cain by heeding God's warning. Cain did not heed God's warning. You should heed God's warning. God warned that sin was crouching at the door, was ready to grab him. Treat sin like a crouching lion or like a serpent in the grass, a venomous serpent ready to strike. Treat sin as one that is seeking to utterly corrupt you and destroy you. Uh, Its desire is for you. I mentioned how to translate desire is contrary to you or for you. When we looked at chapter 3, same phrase is used here. Sin has a desire for you, to possess you. 
but you must rule over it. Rule sin. And in this case, that means trample it underfoot because it's an enemy. Now, a similar phrase, like I said, is used in chapter 3, respecting the man and wife, but that was a different kind of uh, rule because it wasn't a bad thing for the woman to desire the man. She was not an enemy. So it's a different kind of rule that is spoken of there. But sin is a bad thing. It's the worst thing. And its desire is for you to make you like it. So put to death what is sinful in you. Put away anger and wrath and malice, abusive language and bitterness. Keep far from murder and its desires. Those things do not belong to you. And in fact, they wage war against your soul. That is, they seek to corrupt you. They seek to destroy you. They seek to to extinguish the graces and virtues that are within you. They seek to, to destroy your soul. Put on instead compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. Put on patience. So heed God's warning. Sin is after you. Uh, Peter would say the same. Sin is like a lion seeking whom it may devour. Uh, Those sinful passions wage war against your soul. And and, and thirdly, unlike Cain, love your brother. You know, don't hate your brother. Instead, we ought to do the opposite. Love your brother. You are all brothers in Christ. Of course, this also means literally love your physical brother. You should love them too. Uh, Love your fellow man, the image bearer. Uh, but especially think of your brother, your brother in Christ, your brothers and sisters, those who are of the household of God, who have that special uh, kinship and connection. Love one another as children of the Heavenly Father. Love one another in word and in deed. Love one another from the heart. Don't, Don't minimize the command to love by making it only an external thing. Don't minimize this command by only making it an internal thing so that you can say, well, I love my brother because I have this feeling in my heart, but I don't have to actually do anything for him. And don't do the opposite. Well, I checked off the box. I did a few things for my brother. Therefore, I love him. When actually I really resent and very bitter at him in my heart. No, it's both an affection and it necessarily manifests itself in certain ways. It drives you to do things. As Paul says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy, not like Cain, right? Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Oh, that's definitely different than than Cain. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the way we ought to treat one another, to treat your brother, to treat your brother even if they're not part of our congregation, your brother in Christ. This is the way that ought to overflow even to the way you treat all people, to have a certain love, even as God shows mercy and grace to his enemies, to the wicked and the good. So love your brother. And, do not, and finally, fourth, do not be surprised that the world hates you. Abel and Joseph and Moses, and the prophets, and Jesus, and the apostles. All of these were rejected, they were reviled, they were persecuted for righteousness' sake. Joseph was persecuted by his brothers and sold into slavery and then persecuted further 
uh, by false accusations and thrown into prison. Moses rose up as a deliverer to save God's people, and yet he had to, was betrayed by his own people and, and by Pharaoh himself and had to run for his life. The prophets would speak the truth and exhort and pleading with God's people, and yet they were persecuted and some put to death. Jesus himself, the Son of God himself, would come to the tenants in the vineyard and would be cast out and killed. <clears throat> the apostles as well were reviled, were rejected, were even put to death. So endure suffering with Christ. Endure suffering without imitating the evil of the world, without returning their hatred in kind. We have enmity with the offspring of the serpent, right? How is that enmity manifested? Does that mean that we ought to be like them, to be bitter and resentful and, and hateful like them? No, you maintain your enmity with the world when you refuse to imitate its sinful ways, when you don't compromise with it, when you don't give tit for tat and join in its devolution of mutual hatred. Continue to identify with Christ. Do not identify with sin. Wage war against sin. Do not be part of the world. Do not love the world. Identify with Christ in his ways. Reject evil and return good for evil, trusting in God to vindicate you, to call upon him, knowing that God will avenge, God will judge, God will take vengeance, call upon him to put things to right, but do not do it yourself. Not when it crosses the law of God. So Cain killed Abel, his brother. He laid his body down, his blood sunk into the ground, and Cain thought he had succeeded. He walked away, but God found him. Just like God found Adam and Eve, he approaches Cain and begins to question him. In verses 9 through 16, we find God's words with Cain. In verses 9 through 10, God asks Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? God approached Cain and examines him. But Cain adds to his sin. What's the first thing he does? He lies. I don't know where he is. Did he know where he was? Yes, he knew where Abel was. He knew where he had left him. He says, am I my brother's keeper? You're your brother. You're your brother's brother. (laughs) He he disowns responsibility for his brother, for his brother's well-being. And denies his responsibility and seeks to perhaps exaggerate it, to make it sound ridiculous. And yet he did have responsibility for his brother. We ought to love our neighbor as ourself, especially as his brother ought to have shown concern and responsibility for him, especially as his older brother. So Cain failed to confess his actions. Even when then God lays out what he had done, what's the only thing he replies with? He complains about the punishment. He does not recognize what he has done. He only says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. God says, what have you done? 
It's a dreadful thing. Abel's blood cried out to God for justice. God had heard. God was not blind. Justice needed to occur. And so verses 11 through 12 then shows how Cain, who already lived under the curse of of Adam, already had to contend with thorns and thistles, now had greater misery that increased under God's judgment. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And so as Cain recognizes in verse 14, he became further alienated from the ground. He became further alienated from the face of the Lord. And he became further alienated from his fellow man. There was hostility on every hand. Uh, Sounds a little bit similar to, you know, the curses of the law that are described in in Deuteronomy or Leviticus, you know, the, the, sun, the, the sky and the ground will be like beaten metal. There will be no place to go. You'll be persecuted. You'll be uh, driven away from the face of the Lord. A fallen man faces hostility on every hand and will face it all the more in hell. This was the just judgment of God upon Cain who had forfeited God's gifts by his wickedness. On the other hand, think of it this way. God testified to Abel's innocence. God vindicated Abel. God looked out for Abel and his interests. Even in Matthew 23, Jesus will speak of the righteous blood of Abel as the first in a long line of those who would be vindicated by God. It is good to have God as your defender, even though his people in this life will suffer, even though in this life God will uh, continue to uh, direct this world in such a way in which there is death and persecution and testing and trial, but he will speak up for his saints, and we look to that final day on the day of judgment when his saints will be openly acknowledged and acquitted and recognized by God. And so we are called to be patient, even as the martyrs in Revelation speak up for God and say, when will these things be avenged? And God says, wait a little longer. We have to be patient, wait in God for just judgment to be done. Because we find that in verses 13 through 16, that Cain, even though he is punished and and judged, yet this punishment is mitigated. (coughs) God protects Cain and allows his life to continue. Cain would live under God's curse, away from his presence and a land named Wandering, that's the meaning of the name Nod, or the land of Nod, a land of wandering. And yet he lives, yet he has received some type of mark or sign so that no one would kill him, and he's able to have children, and even later on to build a city, and culture develops, and he allows life on earth to continue. Now Cain alludes to the fact that others might kill him. You might wonder, well, who else is going to kill him? Abel's dead. Uh, But uh, we're not actually told what year this happens. We just know that it's not more than 130 years because that's when Seth is born. And since Seth is seen as kind of a replacement for Abel, it seems that these events might have happened 100 years after the fall uh, or after Adam was born. They might have been 100 years old already, giving plenty of time for Adam and Eve to have other children who might have had their own children 
there would have been at least a small community of those who, seeing this thing, or at least noting now that God's judgment upon Cain, who to blame, and that judgment might have been carried out, uh, not that there would have been two or three witnesses to it, but God restrains them and protects Cain in this case, even though what he did deserved death. We'll find that later on in Genesis 9. And so today, both the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent, or those who are the offspring of the serpent for the moment, they live and work in this world and labor with difficulty. But there is a vexation that plagues the work of the rebel that does not properly belong to the child of God, who works under the smile of God. The rebel is a vagabond, is homeless, does not truly belong, is a stranger who has rebelled against the Creator. He is an outlaw. R.J. Rushduni comments that the mind of modern humanism has been described as the disinherited mind, homeless like Cain, even in its home, a wanderer driven by sin and guilt, and a stranger to all things. The adopted sons of God are not disinherited. They are heirs. They are not strangers or foreigners to this world, although they are pilgrims in it. They can sing with certainty on their pilgrimage that this is my father's world. The hand of the disinherited is raised against all men, whereas the heir carries the good news of a rich estate to all men. And so we are not vagabonds and homeless. We have a home in the household of God. We live in our Father's world. Yet those who rebel against God do not have that confidence So learn from this judgment upon Cain to not be defensive when God comes to convict you for sin. God seeks to lead you to judge yourself. He began with a question to Cain. He could have come out knowing all things, saying, I saw what you did. You did bad. I'm going to judge you. But he begins with a question. Where is Abel? What have you done? Seeks to lead Cain to accuse himself, to repent. Yet he did not. But that is what you ought to do. Those who excuse their sins will have all their defenses stripped away like Cain did here at the day of judgment. Better to humble yourself now and be exalted then than to exalt yourself now and be humbled then. Confess your sins to God. Confess Christ before men so that you might be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment along with Abel and not cursed along with Cain. Have you done this? Have you laid aside your defenses and confessed your sins? Have you cast yourselves upon God's mercy? Then give thanks to God. He has welcomed back the prodigal son. He brings the rebellious vagabond back into his presence, back into his household. We no longer need to live in the land of Nod. It's interesting when he says that he goes away from the presence of the Lord. Where was the presence of the Lord? probably a reference to Eden, yet he was going further and further away from the garden. Perhaps Adam and Eve lived on its doorstep still yet, but we are now brought back into his presence. The curtain is, is gone. We enter now into the holy places through Jesus Christ. No longer we are driven to and fro by guilt. You may draw near to God. The poor in spirit shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. The meek shall inherit the earth. Despite the hostility of the world, you may know the delight of the blessing of God, the brotherhood 
of the saints, the fruits of the earth, not as outlaws, but as beloved children of the Creator. And so follow the way of Abel. Do not be like Cain. Draw near to God with faith and not with pride in your worship today, in your worship throughout your life. Come with the confidence of faith, for He receives sinners, those who come to Him with faith, and even it receives their gifts, their worship, their, right, their good deeds. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> Then, like Abel and unlike Cain, exercise love towards your brother, not envy and anger. Confess your sins and live by God's mercy rather than stiffening your neck against rebuke. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, and he welcomes those who come to him by faith. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you and praise you for your goodness. We thank you and praise you for your grace. We pray that you would continue to humble our hearts, that we might bring forth uh, joyful and sincere and grateful offerings of praise and uh, thanksgiving. We pray that you would subdue our hearts to teachableness you would continue to lead us through your word to examine ourselves, to humble ourselves, and to cast ourselves upon you. We ask that you would also bring in the lost, those who are wandering far astray, that you would bring them back into your presence through your word, your word of grace. We pray that you would help us to remain steadfast uh, in the trial of this world, to hold fast to your side, that you would defend your people and vindicate their name, whether in this time, through history, or at the day of judgment in the end. We pray that you would protect your people and strengthen them in the day of persecution and trial. We pray that you would help us all to endure to the end and to do so not barely, uh, but in a way that glorifies you and witnesses to the world to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.